President Biden's big proposals remain stalled in Congress. Not a good week for Donald Trump. One of his closest associates is bashing her former boss. Disturbing new data on America's growing political divide. And Facebook won't share this. A former top employee tells Congress that the social media giant is a danger to democracy. I'm Paul Brandis. You're listening to West Wing Reports. It's Friday, October 8th. Well, not much progress this week on two big pieces of legislation that will help define the Biden presidency. Last week, I mentioned how his infrastructure bill has passed the Senate, but is being held up in the House by fellow Democrats who first want action on the president's giant social spending bill that covers everything from preschool for kids to hearing aids and eyeglasses for seniors and everything in between, renewable energy, community college, border security, job training, on and on and on. The president is disappointed that these far-left Democrats, they're called the Progressive Caucus, has dug in. In Michigan this week, he said folks need to see the big picture. The work of our time, it seems to me, those of us who hold public office, is to prepare ourselves to be more competitive and to win the fast-changing 21st century in the global economy. Things are changing incredibly quickly. That's why I propose two critical pieces of legislation being debated back in Washington right now. The first, a bill to invest in our physical infrastructure. And the second is a bill to invest in our human infrastructure. I'll talk about both these bills in just a moment. But first, I want to set one thing straight. These bills are not about left versus right or moderate versus progressive or anything that pits Americans against one another. These bills are about competitiveness versus complacency. They're about opportunity versus decay. They're about leading the world or continue to let the world pass us by, which is literally happening. To support these investments is to create a rising America. America is moving. To oppose these investments is to be complicit in America's decline. So the president presents this as a binary choice, either you're for progress or you're not. And you know, the president's social spending bill was originally three and a half trillion dollars, but one key Democrat in the Senate says that's way too much. West Virginia's Joe Manchin, again, he's a Democrat, says that three and a half trillion should really be maybe one and a half trillion. And now the president agrees that his giant bill needs to be chopped down to size. So a lot of things on his wish list are going to go away or at least get whittled down. You know, it's been said that getting bills passed is like making sausage. It's messy and you don't want to know all the details. And that's pretty much where we are. President Trump in the news this week blasting his former press secretary, Stephanie Grisham. Why? Because Grisham's out with a new book describing the Trump White House as, among other things, quote, a clown car on fire whose response to COVID killed people and that Trump 
was trying to start a coup during the January 6th insurrection. Now, for his part, the former president says, quote, Stephanie didn't have what it takes, and that was obvious from the beginning. Well, that's not what he said back in June 2019 when he hired her. Let's go to the tape. So Stephanie has been with me from the beginning, as most of you know. And then uh, over the last couple of years, she's worked for the First Lady, done a fantastic job. The First Lady loves her. Uh, I think she's been... Uh, you know, just incredible. She's very talented. And I asked so many people, who do you like? A lot of people wanted the job. You know, a lot of people wanted to do it. And I'd ask people, who do you like? And so many people said, Stephanie. And she's here. She knows everybody. She actually gets along with the media very well, as you know. A lot of the folks in the media like her very much. And I think she's going to be fantastic. I think she's going to do a great job. So I offered her the job this morning, and she accepted Trump loved Stephanie Grisham so much that he made her his press secretary. Melania Trump loved her, too. You know, what's interesting here is that those who know the Trumps best are the ones who have the worst things to say about them. Grisham worked for Trump for six years, now says she's, quote, terrified of him being president again and adds, quote, he will line his pockets and, quote, I think he would foment more violence. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe, and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. And, you know, Facebook wants you to share things with your friends. Well, here's something the social media giant doesn't want anyone to share, namely these views from a former Facebook product manager, Frances Haugen. Here's what she told Congress this week. I joined Facebook because I think Facebook has the potential to bring out the best in us. But I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The company's leadership knows how to make Facebook and Instagram safer, but won't make the necessary changes because they have put their astronomical profits before people. Haugen covered lots of ground and did so in a conversational, non-technical way that's likely to resonate with both Republicans and Democrats. Both parties, in a rare display of bipartisanship, actually agree that more must be done to protect teenagers on Facebook. Haugen floated one idea, why not increase the minimum age for any person using social media to 17 from 13? Haugen, who's 37, has been working in the tech industry for 15 years and also claims that Facebook is hurting America's national security. During my time at Facebook, first working as the lead product manager for civic misinformation and later on counterespionage, I saw Facebook repeatedly encounter conflicts between its own profits and our safety. Facebook consistently resolved these conflicts in favor of its own profits. The result has been more division, more harm, more lies, more threats, 
and more combat. In some cases, this, this dangerous online talk has led to actual violence that harms and even kills people. This is not simply a matter of certain social media users being angry or unstable, or about one side being radicalized against the other. It is about Facebook choosing to grow at all costs, becoming an almost trillion dollar company by buying its profits with our safety. She adds that Facebook is not doing enough to protect against threats emerging from China, Russia, Iran, and other countries. So what's the Facebook response to all this? CEO Mark Zuckerberg in a blog post says, quote, at the heart of these accusations is this idea that we prioritize profit over safety and well-being. That's just not true, Zuckerberg says. He adds, and I'm quoting here, we care deeply about issues like safety, well-being, and mental health. It's difficult to see coverage that misrepresents our work and our motives. At the most basic level, I think most of us just don't recognize the false picture of the company that is being painted, unquote. Again, that from CEO Mark Zuckerberg. This is a long-running issue that will continue to play out for months to come. A couple of quick observations to chew on, just some unrelated tidbits I found interesting this week. One reason President Biden was elected last year is because he won independent voters by 13 points. But a slew of new polling, Gallup, AP, and ABC Ipsos now shows him losing tons of ground with that key group. The data shows independent support for the president now hovering in the upper 30s and low 40s. The other thing that caught my attention this week concerns Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. You know, lots of people can't stand the governor, understandable, given how he's played fast and loose on COVID vaccines and masks and all that. And it's no coincidence that the death toll from COVID in Florida has hit people badly on his watch. But now his wife, Casey, has breast cancer, and some people can't get beyond their disgust with him to wish her well. You know, breast cancer is horrible and frightening. I wouldn't wish it upon my worst enemy. And to be unable to show empathy to Mrs. DeSantis because you don't like Mr. DeSantis, well, I think that shows a lack of decency and civility. I think folks can do better. My two cents. Money and economic news affecting you now. 194,000 jobs added to the economy in September, the Labor Department says. The unemployment rate has now fallen to 4.8%. And for millions, the dream of owning a home remains just that, a dream, and a distant one at that. That's according to the Federal Reserve, which says home prices have risen much faster than incomes over the past year, nearly eight times faster. a secret that this country is generally divided into two camps. There are Biden voters, of course, and then there are 
Trump voters. Uh, but just how deep and how persistent is the divide between these two groups? Some new data is out from the University of Virginia's Center for Politics, which teamed up with Project Home Fire, which is a research and analytics group. Uh, joining us now to talk about this, my old friend Kyle Kondik. He's managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball, which is part of the uh, UVA Center for Politics. It's uh, an authoritative, nonpartisan newsletter on American campaigns and elections. You should subscribe if you can. It's a uh, free by the way. Uh, Kyle, uh, welcome. You know, we know about these uh, divisions, but first let's talk about uh, the good news here in this data. There's actually agreement between both of these groups on a fair number of uh, key issues. Tell us about that. Yeah, look, I think a lot of the things that are in the bipartisan infrastructure bill that passed the Senate with some, you know, with all Democratic support and, and some significant Republican support, um, it's waiting, waiting in the House. The Democrats, of course, are trying to do their own kind of Democrats only bigger bill. But um, if you look at the bipartisan infrastructure bill, you know, things that are in there are like, you know, improvements to the electrical grid, uh, investing in kind of hard infrastructure, roads, bridges, rail lines, et cetera. Um, and things, things like uh, rural broadband funding, et cetera. You know, you, you find pretty strong support for those things in, with, for both Biden and, and Trump voters. I mean, maybe a little bit for Biden voters rather than Trump voters, just because um, Biden voters tend to be, uh, you know, sort of just generally more supportive of government spending and, and uh, government initiatives. But these are all things that get, you know, majority support from uh, from from Trump voters as well, and so um, that piece of it, at least, you know, and, and again, I think it's reflected in the fact that there were a number of Republicans in the Senate who supported it. You know, there's pretty broad agreement on those sorts of initiatives, but then when you get to other uh, topics, there is, isn't as much agreement. So, as you say, there are disagreements too. So here's the not so good part. It's interesting, just despite these key commonalities both sides uh, say they don't trust the other side that they're actually a threat to american democracy that seems unbelievable how do, how do you explain that uh well look i mean there's just a, a lot of distrust um, between the two sides and look i think that there's you know, uh, if you if you'd ask Biden and Trump voters, which we did in this poll, I think you, we didn't ask them this question specifically, but I think they feel like it's warranted this this, this deep suspicion, you know, be, between between the two sides. And so, um, just for instance, you've got uh, you know eighty percent of Biden voters and eighty four percent of Trump voters at least somewhat agreeing with the statement, saying that I've come to view elected officials from the opposite party as a clear and present danger to American democracy. And there's all sorts of other wow. things in here um, that are along those same lines. Lines. And I think it just reflects that these are two camps that really don't like each other and don't trust each other. Here's another one. Concerned that you or someone close to you might experience personal loss or suffering due to the effects of party policies in the future. 80% of Biden supporters say that 82% of Trump supporters, I mean, this is just unbelievable uh, data. And it goes you know, on and on down, down the line, uh, who's a threat to uh, American life and traditional uh, culture. Uh, the conservative mainstream media might as well be part of the slash Republican slash Democratic uh, Party. I mean, these are just uh, stark divides here. There's just, it seems like there's no gray area at all with some of these things. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, it's just it's just, a, a, again, a lot of uh, a lot of distrust. And, you know, I think that these things kind of help explain the way that voters behave now or help explain 
how ba- voters behave now. You know, if you go back in history, you can find a lot more ticket splitting. There was uh, more kind of ideological diversity within both parties. You had, you know, kind of Southern conservatives in the Democratic Party and moderate liberal Republicans in, in, in the Republican Party. And that's all sort of gotten sorted out over time. And so it's led to sort of less overlap between the two parties. Uh, I think sort of fewer grounds for cooperation and I think a growing amount of of uh, distrust and dislike. Now, you know, look, I don't have a this is the first time we've done this this poll. And again, it was UVA Center for Politics and a group called Project Homefire that's really interested in trying to find compromise in American American life. Mm. Um, so but, you know, this is the first time we've done this. And so we, I can't go back. 20 years and say, oh, well, the numbers are way worse now than they were back then. I suspect they probably would be. Um, and, and, you know, but 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 again, this is the first time we've done it. But it does seem like at the very least, these problems aren't getting better and very well, maybe getting worse. So that's the data. Then uh, looking forward, then what what are your thoughts on how do we get out of this hole? I, I just can't imagine what we what we can do. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty easy to be cynical. Um, you know, we did, we released sort of a, a, a second uh, second part of this, uh, this this study. It was about how immigration is really a big dividing line between the parties and that Democrats, you know, care much more than Republicans about a lot of kind of racial and social justice issues or feel like those are, those are more problems worth addressing. And a lot of, uh, you know, Trump voters are much more concerned with immigration and sort of the, the changing demographics of the country. Um, and, you know, we found that a lot of voters, frankly, are sort of immovable on these immigration issues, but there are certain kinds of sort of swing folks within the two camps who, you know, maybe, maybe they, they care about immigration, but they, you know, they care about other things too. They're not as maybe hard edged and they're thinking about it. Um, and so we're, you know, we're trying to highlight some of that through this research, which we'll be releasing over the course of the you know coming weeks uh, in which we try to highlight some of these divisions, but also maybe highlight the ways in which if you were trying to get compromised, what sorts of messages would you try to, you know, use to, to get that compromise? Is there anybody left in the center at all? Um, I mean, look, I do think that um, there are a fair number of people who, you know, we just we talked a little bit earlier about how there was sort of broad support for these sort of, inf- you know, kind of hard infrastructure bills and whatnot. There are some folks who are, um, I think, kind of maybe economically centrist or left and then maybe are culturally conservative. Um, and that's an that's been an important swing group in American politics. And, you know, part of the reason that Donald Trump won was that, you know, Republicans do well in that group, um, the sort of cross pressured voters. But Trump did even better than than, you know, past Republicans had done. Um, you know, are there things that can that, uh, uh, you know, that that can can appeal to those voters? Because, again, I think they're important. I mean, I think for all of the talk about like, you know, demographic change and, uh, you know, the the increasing salience of like white college educated voters, you know, moving to the Democratic Party, et cetera. There's still a bl- big block of, you know, working class white Americans who are very important in elections and, um, you know, have been have been Democrats have been losing those folks over the course of the last few decades. Um, you know, Democrats, I think, need to think about how they can try to bring some of those folks back. And Republicans need to think about how they can bring back, um, you know, some of the the kind of more white collar people, uh, white collar workers, et cetera. Um, and I think it'd be better if, you know, we, we got a little less polarized on those kinds of lines. Um, and if the, the parties were sort of there's more overlap in terms of who they're appealing to. If people generally can move back and forth, I mean, it's interesting that, uh, you know, Hispanics moved a little bit more towards uh, Trump in 2020, for example. I mean, traditionally, that's been a kind of a Democratic uh, 
uh, bastion, but uh, maybe not uh, not so much going forward. Who knows? You know, Kyle, just uh, in our remaining uh, minute here, uh, nothing to do with the uh, with the survey that we've been uh, talking about. But uh, quickly, as we speak today, uh, President Biden's uh, poll numbers are really uh, pretty poor for this point. What uh, eight nine months uh, in? Uh, 38, 39 percent in uh, some polls. Uh, is this just a temporary thing, you think? And, uh, and the bigger question, are we looking at a one term uh, president here? Uh, you know, I think it's a little premature to say that. I do think that, you know, every president gets, well, most presidents anyway, get something of a honeymoon period. Um, Trump didn't really have much of one at all. Biden sort of did, but his approval was always kind of stuck in, in averages in sort of the, the, the mid 50s or so. Um, but I think that the you know the, the sort of the inability to get beyond COVID, um, I think was starting to starting to drag his numbers down in summer. Um, you know, probably other things as well. But but then I think the, the catalyzing event was was the uh, withdrawal from Afghanistan, followed by the collapse of the government there. Which I don't necessarily know if if people are super locked in on that particular event. But I do think it it may be. Um, confirm some some fears from some folks that um, you know this administration just hasn't hasn't been able to turn the page as well as maybe they hoped when people voted for them in, in 2020, um, and it was just, I, I think it was a uh, you know for for administration sort of promising uh, competence and like a return to normalcy, you know it was it was it wasn't a competent thing even if you agree with the. Um, with the withdrawal now, and I guess you could also say it, it would have been impossible to to do it in a way that that wasn't essentially a disaster. Um, but I think that hurt, and I think it just it just sort of drove Biden's numbers down to the point where you know you you might expect his his approval rating to be more mixed going forward. I think in some ways I think he stopped the bleeding, although there's some polls are bad for him. You mentioned one from Quinnipiac that I'm in the high 30s. That's yep. kind of an outlier, but. Um, his approval has definitely moved from more like the mid 50s to the mid to high 40s, at least. Yeah. And uh, I guess just uh, running, getting elected because you're not Donald Trump is uh, not enough to uh, sustain. Yeah, that's uh, I think that's I think it's totally fair. Yeah. You know, and speaking yeah. of a Trump uh, quickly, he's kind of a teasing with the run. Some of his aides say oh, he's definitely going to run. But with Donald Trump, of course, uh, who knows? But uh, what do you think? I mean, look, I mean, I think as of right now, he's, he's effectively an undeclared candidate for president. I mean, he holds campaign events. He endorses candidates. Um, he's still the de facto leader of the Republican Party. So I think we should essentially treat it as though he is running for president in 2024 until he definitively says that he's not. OK. All right. We'll have to leave it there. Kyle Condick, thanks for joining West Wing Reports this week. Thanks, Paul. That's Kyle Kondik. He's managing editor of Sabato's Crystal Ball, University of Virginia's Center for Politics, nonpartisan newsletter on campaigns and elections. Thanks again, Kyle. Let's open up the West Wing Report's archives and take a look at what made history this week in the past. One of the greatest cover-ups in American history began this week in 1919 when Woodrow Wilson suffered a near-fatal stroke. First Lady Edith Wilson 
found him sprawled on a bathroom floor. And when the White House doctor saw Wilson, he cried out, my God, the president's dead. Wilson was alive, but he was paralyzed and unable to speak. For the remainder of his presidency, his condition was hidden from the American public. Edith Wilson often reviewed papers, made decisions on her husband's behalf, becoming, some historians say, an acting president. An amazing cover-up. No way that could happen today. Stone carvers began working on Mount Rushmore this day in 1927. Took 14 years to finish. As you know, it features Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln, and Theodore Roosevelt. But what if you could add someone else to Mount Rushmore? A recent survey said Republicans would pick Ronald Reagan. Democrats would pick John F. Kennedy. And the Supreme Court's first black justice, Thurgood Marshall, sworn in this week in 1967. Want more presidential and Washington history? Check out my books on Amazon. I'll sign them for you too. Just shoot me an email. I'll give the address in just a minute. I like to end each week with a quote, something you hopefully might find thoughtful. This week it's from John Adams, our second president. He said, quote, Facts are stubborn things, and whatever may be our wishes, our inclinations, or the dictates of our passion, they cannot alter the state of facts and evidence, unquote. Think about it. That's all for this week. Here's my email, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. That's P-B-R-A-N-D-U-S, pbrandis at evergreenpodcasts.com. I try my best to answer all emails. All I ask is that you keep it civil. Please include your full name and town, and thank you. Westwick Reports is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Our producer, sound engineer, and designer, Noah Fouts. Executive producers, Michael DeAloya and Gerardo Orlando. I'm Paul Brandis. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because... 
The news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily.